to look at Exodus chapter 25, Exodus 25, verses 21 and 22. And there's a lot of verses I could have included in this today because there's a lot in there to talk about, but uh, God very much gave me a pinpoint accuracy on what we needed to cover today in His Word. And so we're going to look at Exodus 25, verses 21 through 22. And when you got it, if you don't mind standing for the reading of God's Word one last time with our calisthenics today. Exodus 25, 21, and 22. It's on the screen as well. This is what it says. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. Heavenly Father, as we go to your word today and hear what you have to say for your people and to your people, God, I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to every one of our hearts and our minds. Let us be open to hear and receive today what you have for us. In your name we pray, amen and amen. You can be seated this morning. This uh, section of Scripture here is uh, not long after God delivered his people out of Egyptian captivity uh, set them free from their slavery and brought them out into the wilderness. And uh, we, we've talked about this before a couple weeks ago. And you know, the, the parting of the Red Sea, the plagues, and all of these things that happen. And God will go to extreme lengths to free His people. He's a victorious God, like we said earlier in worship. And so we come to this moment where He's giving instruction to Moses about the building of the tabernacle and what would we would call today the, just the modern church, a place where the priests would go and meet with God and hear from God and receive direction for the people of God. And the way they did things was a lot different back then. There was only uh, the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, and there was other priests that did other duties within the tabernacle. And the, it was only, there was a lot of rules and regulations for all of this. And in this moment... Uh, God is speaking to Moses about the building of the tabernacle, the physical aspect of it, and what is to go into it. But the physical things of the tabernacle represent spiritual things to us still today. We don't have to sacrifice animals. We don't have to follow ritualistic washings and purification processes and all of these things to come in and worship God and experience his presence. And I'm thankful for that today because that sounds like a lot of work. But Jesus came and he fulfilled the law and the requirements of all of those things on our behalf so that by faith we can serve him, have relationship with him, and experience that same presence of God that the high priest experienced in the Old, Te in the Old Testament in the tabernacle. Amen. And so when we see this scripture, he, is, he starts out, and I find it interesting that he starts the directions for the tabernacle with the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of the Testimony, depending on what translation you have today. I find it interesting that he starts with this because when you understand uh, what the Ark represents, uh, and we, it, it's in those scriptures right there even, is that it represents the presence of God amongst his people. 
It is the ark that, that in, in the Old Testament it would go before the people in battle. It was, it was the leading instrument of, of, all, of, of all their direction and, and their journeys. and they, they centered their life around what happened in that holy of holies uh, upon the ark, up between the cherubim on that mercy seat, whatever God said when he came down. And, and the Bible says that he made his throne there that he would speak to his people. He would speak to the high priest and, they, and speak to Moses, and he would give direction for the people. They based their entire lives around what happened in the presence of God. Everything that they did was based on this presence. It was priority to them, and it is shown when you look at the building of the tabernacle. I'm not going to get into all of the details of it today, but if you want to go read it for yourself, start there in Exodus 25 and just read until it's done. It's talked about a lot and in in great detail, and I'm not going to go into all of that today. But the one thing I want to tell you about the tabernacle as a whole today is that it was all centered around leading up to the encounter with God. The, the whole built, like from the entrance to the gate to the linens to the, to the washings and the lampstand and all of the different things, the sacrifice, the, the altar that was in there, all of these things were centered around experiencing God's presence. There was a whole bunch of processes and things they had to go through to get there today. But I want us to understand, above all those little details that we can talk about maybe another time, I want us to understand today that their priority was to have an encounter with God in the tabernacle. That was, that was the priority of the people. That was their, their heart's desire. And Moses even says in Exodus 33, uh, verses 15 and 16, he tells God, he says, I'm not going to go anywhere unless your presence goes with us. It was such a high priority for the people that Moses says, I will not take a single step unless your presence is with us. How is it that we go from that mentality that Moses had to the church, the capital C church, in 2023 that can just happily come into a service on a Sunday? And most people uh, anymore, like I've mentioned before, the average uh, church attendance is once every six weeks, uh, which breaks my heart. How do we go from, I can't even take a step, I won't even leave my location, and I'm going to do whatever it takes, no matter how much it takes, to experience God's presence, have an encounter with Him, and hear from Him so that I know the commandments and the direction that He has for us and His people to do anything. What, how did we go from that to, I, I, I just come to church when I feel like it. I, I don't feel... I'm a little tired today. I had a long week. And I'm not talking about you're sick and you, you got to stay home because you don't want to share your germs with the rest of us. And, you, you, you know, I, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the serial skippers. And what I mean by that is there are, there are people in the capital C church today, and God forbid even in these walls, that look for reasons to miss church. Like, if there's an excuse and a reason to miss, you'll take it. Where, on the other hand, you have back in these times, and even in the not-so-distant past, where people were, were using church as the excuse to miss everything else. Why? Because the priority of God's presence was so high. And how do we get to a place in our life 
where it's not such a priority anymore. And maybe it's on the priority list, but it's not the top priority. You see, what what happens when it's not the top priority is when we aren't seeking God's presence above all else, you see, it wasn't just to have the tingly feelings of joy and peace that come when we have an awesome time of worship as we've had here today and even in weeks past here recently. There's a couple weeks where God met with us powerfully in the altars. and But it's not just for that. Like, we... There's, in the modern church today, for whatever reason, everybody's hooked on a feeling. They, they, want to, they want to chase that goosebump, tingly arm thing, but they don't actually want to hear the voice of God to give them direction for anything. But, but above all else, when we even read that scripture, he said, I will meet with you there. We'll, we'll have an encounter between the two of us, and I will speak to you all the commandments I have for my people. It's so important for us to understand that when we seek God's presence as a priority of our life, we're not just getting a tingly, joyful feeling, which is great and wonderful, and I want that just as much as the next guy because it is refreshing, it is energizing and rejuvenating for us today. But we need to hear the voice of God so that we know which direction we should go in. When God's, priori- when God's presence is priority, you receive direction for everything else that you're worried about. The stuff that you want to get into God's presence to forget about with that tingly, joyful feeling that you get, he would just speak to you on how to solve all of those problems if you would just listen. You see, we'll stop when we feel something. We'll be like, oh, that was good. I, I can get through the next couple of days, and by the time Wednesday and Thursday rolls around, you're just miserable again because the same problems are still there, and you don't know what direction to go in. And, but if we would prioritize his presence, and I'm not even just talking about on Sunday morning, if it would become the priority of our everyday life, we could hear the voice of God concerning the things that we need to know about. And we could have some answers and some real direction for our life. So many people wander around aimlessly. I was talking to this brother, dear brother here today, and he shared with me a news report that he heard that 20,000 young people, not adults, young people, we're talking like teenagers and younger, in the past month have committed suicide. And one thing I learned as our time doing youth ministry is that the number one issue that teenagers deal with is they don't know what they're supposed to do with themselves and their life. And I, and I can imagine that it's not just designated to the young people in the world, but it would be all of us as well, that there are moments where we're not sure what to do with ourselves. And it is because, and, and we also had the same discussion about how it is so difficult to get teenagers and young people to come into the house of the Lord. And, it, and it, what I'm getting to is there is a lack of priority of his presence, and it is the leading cause of all the other problems that we have. Because if we would prioritize his presence, if we would get ourselves to the house of the Lord, if we would get ourselves into a prayer closet, if we would worship sometime on our own, if we would read his word, we might hear something from him, and we would, we would experience direction and commandment that we wouldn't wander around aimlessly. We wouldn't wonder what we need to do. We would know for a fact what God has given us direction for. And you know, I mentioned this the other week, we, we get so hung up on grandiose, big stage, fancy callings, 
high office, whatever stuff. But the reality of it is, is maybe the Lord's just given you the responsibility to be a good mother, father, grandfather, a grandmother, a good son, a good daughter, uh, just helping out the neighbors that live next to you. Maybe that is your calling and that is your mission field. Don't downplay that, but you will never know that if you don't prioritize his presence. We have to get back to the place where we prioritize his presence. Like I mentioned earlier, it's where we meet with God. He said, upon that mercy seat between the cherubim, I will enthrone myself and I will meet with you and I will share with you all of the commandments, all of the things that you need to know. And I don't want to live a life where I'm always trying to guess what God's will is, where I'm having to figure it out with myself and my own mind and my own wisdom because I'll most definitely choose wrongly. I want to live a life where I am sure that God has spoken to me. And I don't want to be in a church that does not care about his presence. I want us to be a body of believers that prioritizes his presence. So not that just our individual lives can be fulfilled and and directed and guided, but us as a church, our mission, our vision, all of those things could be directed and guided by God. It would be easy for me to come up with just some cute little mission statement, and what, but if it is not inspired and empowered by God and his Holy Spirit, it does not matter what the statement is. And you only get those directions by prioritizing his presence. And I want to have meetings with God. I don't want to just have a service. I want to have encounters with God in my life, and I would hope that you desire the same because we have to have it. We have to have his direction. We have to have his voice active in our life. Or we are going to miss out on everything that he has for us. And I'm thankful today that we have full access to his throne room. Hebrews teaches us that we can go boldly to the throne of grace. We don't have to let a high priest do it for us. We don't have to let somebody else make the sacrifice. But we ourselves can enter into the holy holies, holy of holies and have an encounter with God. But yet we take it for such great. I wish we could get in a time machine and just spend a week among those Israelite people and see what they had to go through to have an encounter with God. And maybe we would stop taking it for granted. You see, the other thing about this Holy of Holies and the Ark and God's presence is it's not just where we hear from God. It's also where our relationship with God is built. One of the other directions Moses was given is he said, he, uh, God said, you know, you will place in it the testimony that I will give you. And you, when you study that, uh, most people believe that it was three items. It was the, the Ten Commandments. It was the rod of Aaron that had budded, but at this point that didn't happen yet. And then it was uh, the bread, uh, the, the manna that was provided for them in the desert. Now there's some debate about if it was just the Ten Commandments inside and then they just placed the manna and the rod before the ark together. Uh, either it's, it's kind of irrelevant, but there's some debate on that. But the reality of it is, is all of those items represent key foundational moments in the relationship between God and his people. 
There's so much that represents the priesthood and, and, and the worship that was established and, and the, the order of the priesthood according to Aaron and, and, and all of those things with the rod that had budded and then God's provision with the manna and then his covenant among his people with the law, uh, with the Ten Commandments. There's a lot that it represents, but all of those things boil down to being key moments in the relationship between God and his people. And they were contained within the ark, which represents his presence. And here's what the Lord spoke to me. He said, if you will get in my presence, you will experience key moments of your life and key things that will transform your life, and they will be considered a testimony of the relationship that we have together. If we don't have his presence, how will we ever experience testimony moments? How will we ever get to points in our life where we have transformational moments, where we have foundational moments? It, whether, you want, whether you realize it or not, it is God's presence that has molded and shaped where you are today. And, and, and again, it's not just about the tingly little goosebump feeling, but it is because God made himself present in your life that you got saved. It is because God made himself present in your life you got delivered. His presence doesn't always show up in a cloud of glory. It doesn't always show up in goosebumps and tingles. and, and it, Sometimes it is just him doing something in your life that you never could have done on your own. And it was because he showed up and was present. His presence was there that you experienced that moment to have a testimony. But if his presence is not a priority for you, if his presence doesn't exist in your life, the testimony will not exist either. His presence is where our life is molded and shaped. It is where we experience moments that shape our relationship with God to where we can have this foundation like they had. We have to have his presence. The other thing we need to understand about his presence today is that his presence is the mark of favor. If we look again at Exodus 33, 15, and 16, Moses is asking God this, present, this question regarding his presence. He said, how else will we know that we have found favor? In other words, he had just said, God, I'm not going to go anywhere without your presence. And the next thing he says is, how else would we ever know that we have favor with you? You see, his presence is the mark of God's favor on your life. And I don't want to do anything without his stamp of approval. You see, he said, I'm not going to go anywhere without your presence because it is by your presence that I can know and discern whether or not what we are doing is right. And whether we're going in the right direction and whether you're going to be on our side when we go. Because there are times in history, if you go read your Bible once in a while, you will see that people tried to do things in their own strength and in their own way. And if you look at your own personal history, you can probably see moments in your time where you have tried to do things in your own strength, in your own wisdom, in your own way, and it failed miserably. But then you can probably look back and say, I, I, I obeyed the Lord, and I know we don't want to be prideful and pat ourselves on the back, but sometimes you need to understand and, and give yourself a little pat on the back so that way you could remember in the future that I need to obey the Lord. And if you would look back, you would see moments where, hey, I obeyed the Lord and it worked out. 
I did what the Lord said, and he blessed it. And if you would look back on that, I would bet you could say, tell me today that you felt God's presence in that moment, that you felt his stamp of approval and his favor on your life when you did it. And sometimes his presence just looks like favor. Like when thing, you're wondering, am I doing the right thing? Am I in the right place? Am I, am I walking in the right steps? Am I, and all of a sudden things start working out for you. It's a good indication that his presence is among you. That's how Moses wanted it. He said, if I, if I go without your presence, how will I ever know that I'm doing the right thing? I need your favor, and I need your presence to show up and show us some favor so that way I know that what we are doing and where we are going is right. And I don't want to go anywhere without his favor because without his favor, like we said, it would be a complete disaster. Not only that, but his presence is a mark of distinction. And he asks again, he says, after he says, how will we know if we have favor? He says, is it not your presence with us that we have been made distinct from everyone else? In other words, it separates us from them. And I'm not saying it in the terms of we we have the world as our enemies, but what I'm saying is, is it separates us in such a way that we stand out from the crowd as believers to where they can look at us and the life that we live and the active presence of God in our life as a way to point them to Jesus. See, Israelite people were not like the rest of the world. And you can go back and look at all the Levitical laws and all of the different things. And I'm not going to teach on all that today. But if you look at a lot of the requirements and things, there, there are, there's different laws for different reasons and different categories. But some of those laws were really just to make them separate from everyone else, to show a distinction and a mark of God's favor on their life, to show that, hey, we do things differently, and here's the results. Let them speak for themselves. If we have God's presence active in our life and his presence is a priority, there should be things that make us different than the rest of the world. And it's not even for our benefit. It's for the world's benefit that they may come to know Jesus, that we look different. But if we don't look any different than the world, if our church looks no different than the bar down the street, And I'm not talking about aesthetically. I'm talking about the way we act and the way we talk and the way we treat people. If we don't look any different than the the people who are caught in sin, if we don't look any different than those who are out there living for the world, then there is a major problem with the, the presence of God that we have in our life in that it probably isn't actually there. Because his presence will also convict you and lead you to do what is right. In the, New Test- in the Old Testament, the laws are written on tablets. But in the New Testament, the Bible says he wrote his law on our heart and in our spirit that he can work within us and convict us of our sins so that way we can live righteously and holy before him. But if we are not distinct from the world, that's a good indication that something is not right. His presence is so necessary. Like, if we do not have his presence, what's the point? Yes, there's heaven to look forward to, but if we don't have his presence active in our life, I fear that many of us might miss heaven. 
Because his presence is what ultimately leads us to the promised land. Israel had their promised land and we have ours. The question is, are we guided by his presence enough to get us there? Here's what I want us to end with today. We need to understand how to get to his presence because like I mentioned, the tabernacle was all built and centered around his presence. When Moses was in there and the high priest was in there meeting with God, there was a cloud of glory that surrounded and people would know that, that something was going on, things were happening. And, and the way the tabernacle was set up, there was, there was like a flow of worship. And I'm not going to get into the details of all of the different items, but I want to share with you today the principles that those items represent and how we still can live through those principles today in order to get to the Holy of Holies and into his presence. The first thing you had to do was you had to enter in. They had a gate. You had to enter into the gate to get into the tabernacle. And if we don't enter in, and what I mean by enter in is when we come to church on a Sunday morning, if we don't have some intention and we don't have intentionality with our motives to come into here and to worship and to seek God, if we don't come in here with the intent of our heart being to encounter him, we're probably going to miss his presence. They did not step into the tabernacle whimsically and lackadaisically, not knowing or having any intention of the heart of what they would do that day. They knew exactly what they were going in there to do. They knew they were going in there to seek God's presence and to serve him and to worship him. They knew that going into it. But I think sometimes we walk into church and we're not even really sure why we're here. It's just, well, it's Sunday and my alarm clock went off and I, it's just time for church. So I better get up and get ready and go. And we step into the doors with no real intention within our heart to seek God's face. And when it comes to the rest of the week, we have no intention throughout our day to spend any time seeking God's face. You can enter in in your bedroom, in your living room, or your kitchen just as much as you can here in this sanctuary today. The second thing that they would do after they entered in is they would have a time of confessing sin and cleansing of sin so that way they could be purified and holy and washed clean so they could go before God with a pure heart and a pure mind and, and, and all wiped clean so that way when they got to Him and they got to His presence because sin cannot be in the presence of God. They had to be purified and come in with the right heart and mind. I want to tell you today that when we come into the house of God, one of the things that we should be doing in our hearts is seeking forgiveness of our sins, confessing our sins. And you see, I'm not, you don't have to tell everybody your business all the time. I, I believe in accountability, and I believe that you should have some people you trust and are close to that you, you talk to each other and work through some of that stuff when things happen. I believe in that. I think it's necessary. But you don't have to come in here saying, guess what I did this week to everybody and their brother. But what you do need to do is you need to be constantly seeking repentance and forgiveness of your sins. And God will throw those sins out into the sea of forgetfulness. But you need to understand today, when we come into the house of the Lord, we are coming before a holy, righteous God. And sometimes we think we can go party on Saturday and come into his house and worship him on Sunday like nothing ever even happened. 
and maybe you weren't a partying crew, but maybe there was some gossiping that went on. Maybe there was some lying that went on. Maybe there's some backbiting that went on. And, and you just, you act like nothing ever happens in your life. And we act, and here, here's the biggest thing is when we confess our sin and we begin to talk to God about our sin, we realize how not so prideful we should be. It brings us to a place of humility. We understand how unholy we truly are and how far away we are from God's holiness, and it brings us to a place of humility in worship. God paid for your sins. And it's so simple now. Like they had to sacrifice, and they had to do all these different rituals. All we got to do, the Bible says, if anyone comes to him and confesses his sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All we have to do is talk about it with him. But yet, we just want to live our life like nothing ever happens. The third step they would do, they did things like burn incense and such, but they would come in and they would worship. They would worship. The Bible teaches us that we should enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise. See, sometimes I think we walk into the time of worship with the wrong mentality as we use worship time as request time. We want to make all these requests before God. And I think there's a time and a place for that in worship, but I think mostly it should be about thanksgiving and praise to God. And you know, if we made more of our life like that, I think we'd find a lot more joy. Because if we worshiped God and showed gratitude in our life, did you know that gratitude, the emotion that gratitude brings forth is the same spot of the brain that anxiety comes from? Don't ask me what part of the brain it is. I'm not a brain scientist, so I couldn't I don't know the term of it, but I read the other day that the part of the brain that produces anxiety is the same part that produces joy from gratitude. There's a whole study done on it, and I'm paraphrasing it and giving you the point of it, not the whole thing. But I, we need to understand today that if we would just enter into his gates with thanksgiving in our hearts and coming off of our lips, that maybe we wouldn't be so anxious and we wouldn't be so worried because we'd be so worried about being thankful for what he's already blessed us with, we wouldn't be so concerned about the stuff going on in our life behind the scenes. And we, have, and we need to have some praise and adoration towards God because when we start just making all these requests and we start making just our demands during worship and we just say, Lord, I need a victory in my life, and you might, and there's nothing wrong with asking for that, but the thing is, is when that's all we ever do in worship, we are treating God like a genie. We are treating God like Santa Claus and we're giving him our Christmas list. We are not treating him like he is the God of all creation who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, uses the earth as his footstool. We are treating him like he is some magician or genie that's just going to grant our wishes and that's all we want from him. And we so downplay who he truly is. And if we don't have some humility and we don't really truly learn how to live thankfully and worshipfully before him, we will miss out on true encounters with God. And so they would go through all of this process, these main things. There's, there's little finite details that I'm not going to get into today. 
But they would go through these steps, these processes of of thanksgiving, of cleansing, of sin, of just entering in with intention to, to, to seek God's face, to hear from Him. And you know what happened when they did all of those things? They encountered God. It's amazing what happens when we show up to the house of God with the intention and the desire to seek Him and hear from Him and experience His presence when we come in with a pure heart and a pure mind, when we come in with thanksgiving and praise in our hearts, when we come in like that, it's amazing what happens because God's presence shows up in such a powerful way. I'm getting ready to close this morning. But I really want us to grasp this today because His presence is so important. And I think sometimes we get so lethargic. We get so, well, I'm just going because it's Sunday. That we miss the purpose of it all. We don't come here just to play patty cake, sing kumbaya, and get a little nugget of wisdom or knowledge for the week. We come in to encounter a holy, righteous, powerful God who, yes, he'll take care of all of our stuff and he'll lead us to victory and all. That's, that's, to me, that's all like side benefits of serving God. He, he is the holy, righteous God of the universe. And he allows us, through the blood of his son, the sacrifice he made to enter into his holy of holies and meet with him. We, not, like, we don't even have to come in timidly. He said, enter in boldly to the throne room of grace. And so many of us have lost sight of what it's really all about. And we've taken what is holy and turned it into something common and we treat it as unimportant because, well, we just got a lot on our plate right now. And, well, I got this going on, I got that going on. And we come into the doors thinking about all the other stuff we got to do today rather than the intention of our heart being just to seek God's face. We come in without pure minds and pure hearts. And listen, we, we all sin. We all fall short of the glory. We do. But the difference is, is do you seek out repentance regularly to have that pure heart? And then we come into worship and all we're doing is asking God for stuff and making demands and we're looking at our phones, we're thinking about lunch, we're worried about this or that and we don't take time to give God the praise and recognition that he deserves. And then we wonder why God never shows up in our life. Why we never have those encounters with God. Because me, I long to have the encounters of God like the cloud of glory, the, the fire, the pillar of fire, the, 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 the glory that Moses experienced on the mount when his face shone, the, the upper room experience in Acts chapter 2 where, where people were so blown away and so uh, confused as what was going on that they accused them of being drunk, but it was really just the glory of God upon them. I want that kind of glory in this church and in my life.
And so my challenge for us today as a church is let us be a church that prioritizes his presence, but it starts with us as individuals coming into this house with the intention of the heart to be to seek him with with pure minds and pure hearts and with true thanksgiving and praise unto him. Will you bow your heads with me today?